Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Sports Finder community, welcome back to our regular segment where we speak to great people from the world of sport. And today it is no different. I have Mr. Steve Moniachi. Steve, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Thank you, and I'm well. Thank you very much. Um, no, thank you, sir, for joining me. Steve, uh, before we get into the, you know, the meat of the show, as, as they say, let's, let's go back in time. Who was Steve as a young man at school? Uh, at, at school, I attended uh, uh, my undergraduate work at Ball State University, uh, where I was a member of the basketball team. And then I graduated there and went on to uh, a sports administration program at Ohio University, which I'm an old guy. So when I went there, it was one of the first, if not the only programs in the country in that area. And uh, I graduated there. I was fortunate enough to get an internship possibility at Rice University down here in Houston, Texas, and managed to stay at Rice for 26 years, uh, and then transitioned over from Rice to Houston Baptist about those oh, 15 years ago, and have been here ever since. Wow, it's a bit of a journey. Um, let's let's get back a few years into your journey into actual college. I mean, one of one of our key audiences is the students, the student athletes themselves. What was your journey like into college and post-college? Uh, you know, it, back it, back when I went to school, it wasn't quite as uh, um, probably, you weren't, there wasn't quite the recruiting aspects that there are today. Uh, in fact, I, I was recruited to two or three different universities and uh, really made a decision based on academics, not necessarily athletics. And so um, ended up at Ball State University because I knew that I wanted to teach and coach or, or get into uh, an administrative line of work in education. And they had a very good program in that. And so that's why I went there. Um, you know, you didn't, you didn't quite see the huge recruiting wars uh, and, and there weren't the, the camps and there weren't the clinics and there weren't the, uh, the uh, club teams that there are, the traveling club teams that there are now. So those weren't the kind of things that, that when I was growing up that, that even were part of, of my experience. Um, so you, you, you basically got recruited out of what you did in high school. Um, and so if you were a, a really good high school player, universities would come talk to you about coming to school at their place. Uh, but that was really about the only way you got seen. Uh, nobody was on TV in high school. Uh, there were no recruiting services very few, maybe maybe one in basketball. Um, there were no um, huddles, uh, which is huge now in recruiting. You didn't put your tape out there. Your mom and dad didn't stand up in the stands and tape you so that they could put the tapes up for you. I mean, that sort of thing just didn't happen. It was all about, you know, the notoriety that you got as, as playing a high school sport. Wow. Very uh, different times. Yes, very, very much so. 
Um, and now your, your position as the Director of Athletics at HBU. Um, what does your day-to-day look like? Like, what does it entail and involve? You know, people are always very curious to see what, you know, your, your position and athletic directors in general, uh, what their day-to-day looks like, because they play such a pivotal and vital role. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's impossible in an athletic director's role to say what your day-to-day looks like. Um, you come in the morning and you have a list of things that you want to try to get done that day, but you may never see that list. Uh, somebody has an issue, somebody has a problem, it's more than likely going to end up on your desk at some point, and you're going to have to try to solve that problem, or you're going to have to direct it to the person who can solve that problem. Uh, a lot, a lot of our job uh, involves at the Division One level involves uh, resources and and finding resources, uh, whether that's you know through attracting fans to come to your games or whether it is through donations. Uh, so we do a lot of fundraising as athletic directors. Uh, we do a lot of friend raising as athletic directors, uh, but there really is no typical day. There is no such thing as a typical day. Uh, as I said, you might have a list of things you want to get done, but you may never see that list. And generally, if you've got 10 things on your list and you get through three or four of them, you probably had a really good day. So, you know, it, it's kind of, I always kind of equate this position to, there's, there used to be a commercial on TV about the shell answer man. And generally, the athletic director ends up being the shell answer man. Wow. Interesting. Um Let's talk about, I mean, you've been in the industry for many years. How have things changed and evolved during your time in the uh, industry? Tremendously. Uh, When I got into the industry, there was um, one network carrying college sports and one contract. And that contract covered all of college sports. There were very few basketball games even being shown. Uh, mostly it was, it was whatever college football games were on. And that generally meant there were at most two football games on a Saturday. And now obviously that's changed tremendously. And I think that's probably as much as anything else, that single fact has changed the world of college athletics. Um, now, you know, it's all about the TV contracts. It's all about how much money you're getting out of a TV contract. It's all about your exposures. Uh, it's, it's selling your athletes on the kind of exposures they're going to give as they come to your place, how popular or not popular your, your, your school is probably is based upon how, how big a TV contract you have. Um, what you pay your coaches is probably based on how big a TV contract you have. Uh, that sole factor has changed the world of college athletics tremendously, mostly through the ESPN network. Um, They kind of have driven it. Now, had they not existed, something else probably would have taken that space uh, because the technology developed to where you could do those things. Uh, But certainly the, the onset of ESPN and the sports that they cover and the popularity that they found out that that sports attracted to their network uh, certainly has changed everything in college athletics. Um, people probably don't remember this, but when ESPN came on the air, it was the entertainment and sports network 
It wasn't all sports. It wasn't meant to be all sports. But that's what it evolved into quickly when they found out where the money was uh, and how much folks like to watch the sports. And so that's really probably the single most um, biggest change that I've seen in, in all my years of intercollegiate athletics. And, and just, just to back up what you're saying, in, in, in modern day TV, the oxygen of, of modern day TV is life sport. I mean, I think if it wasn't for life sport, we wouldn't even have a lot of these cable networks would have a lot, a lot, a lot of issues. Um, what do you think was the key to, to them heading into this market? Because who, who would have thought? I mean, there's so many countries around the world who have college systems and play sport, but it's never really televised. I mean, America is really the only country in the world that has really built a, uh, these leagues within these huge leagues, within the, the pro ranks. I mean, there's no other country in the world that has a system that attracts so much attention, so much media rights at a college level. I'll give you an example. Like I was reading the, the collegiate media rights, something like $2 billion. Um, I'm originally from Australia. Our biggest sport is AFL, which is Aussie rules. Right. Their, their TV rights are around the $2 billion. And that's, that's their, their grand final would get about three, four million people watching and regularly in uh, plus 500,000. So you've got a whole industry in a country that's at two billion. Then you've got the collegiate level, which is even the pro ranks. We're not even going to, into, 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 into the pro ranks right. at two billion. And you've got people like the UFC, the NBA and so on, building their fixtures around the collegiate fixtures so they don't collide. I mean, right. so how? Well, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that our country is divided up into 50 states. And I think initially it came down to your state school versus my state school and the pride in the state. Wow. And it didn't really matter whether you went to school there, but the, that school that has your state's name on it represented you and your state. And so, for example, I grew up in Ohio. Didn't matter whether you went to Ohio State. When Ohio State played Michigan, you weren't rooting for Michigan, and you were really, really rooting for Ohio State. Wow. And, and I think that's probably what initially started it. Uh, and then people got hooked. People got hooked on the drama. Um, as you said, it's, it, it's the basis for live TV. And the reason it's the basis for live TV is because we pretty much know that everything else we see on TV is scripted. Correct. What's not scripted is live sports yeah. and the drama. And to a certain extent, I think the thought that, you know, at least initially that these were amateurs playing the game, uh, that they weren't paid to be playing the game, but they were doing it for the love of the sport. Now, I think some of that has gone away now and been supplanted by pro sports where everybody knows they're getting paid. Um, but I still think there's a pretty large audience out there that appreciates the fact that at least they think these are young people who are not necessarily getting paid to play the sport. That's not their primary job. Um, but again, I think it all goes back to the state versus state thing to begin with. 
one one thing I realized is also the uh, when somebody graduates from college and goes into the workforce, the college affinity or the brand affinity really stays with them, and it's almost like oh yeah you're 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 a Duke graduate you're a Ohio State graduate oh yeah I so the conversation never really ends it, it continues through. So that affinity, that brand brand affinity is very, very powerful. Is that something that's been built purposely by the colleges or it's just evolved into that? Or, you know, that's something that really boggles my mind is like here in Australia, um, there's so many different universities, but there's not that brand affinity. But in the States, the affinity is amazing. I mean, it just continues on for decades after they've left. Yeah, and I think it's intentional. I don't think I know it's intentional um, because that brand affinity is what what those universities rely on when they go to ask those alums for money. And so the, the, the brand affinity is built in from the day they they enter that college that that's drummed into them. Um, so because they know that later in life, when they go back and ask for donations, they can rely on that brand affinity as a reason that somebody's going to reach into their pocketbook and write a check. Um, oh. And so therefore, then you get, okay, my brand affinity is better than your brand affinity. Okay. And so I'm going to feel a lot better about my brand affinity. If my brand affinity wins 11 football games every year and yours only won three. Okay. Then on Monday morning, there's the water cooler talk, which is just what you, you alluded to, which is on Monday morning around the office, how did your college team do? Well, this is how my college, and, and believe me, if my college team won, I'm asking you that question. <laughs> if my college team didn't win, I'm not asking you, but somebody else is asking. Yeah. So th that's, you're absolutely right. And it's ingrained. And that's, you know, they, they rely on that loyalty. And then that loyalty carries over to sport because it's the sport that again, represents that university against another university. It's not the two English departments don't ever fight each other. Okay, but the two football teams are going to clash, and then we're going to see who has quote the better university. It's genius. Yeah, it's magic and it's genius. I'm telling you, it's I've never seen anything like it. It's I love it. It's beautiful. It really is. Um, let's move on to the world of NIL. A lot of talk in recent weeks. Actually, a lot a lot of talk this year, and more talk next year. Uh. You've been in this industry for a very long time. You've seen the changes from media rights to TV to colleges to buildings to athletic teams, departments, you name it. What do you believe is the future of NIL at the collegiate level? Well, I think it's it's going to happen, but I couldn't tell you what it's going to look like. Whether wow. it's going to look like a cake or it's going to look like a pie. I can't tell you. Why? Uh, well, because there's, there's, it's fraught with problems. Absolutely. And, and to craft something that actually is going to work, I think is going to be very messy. Um, the, the, I don't think there's any, and I, and I don't think you could talk to an athletic director in the country that doesn't believe on some level that the athletes deserve to be paid for activities that they do that may or may not be related to sport. For example, 
I haven't had, I've had an athlete who was an author who wrote a book about his recruiting experience at a high school. Wow. Could, could not publish that book because it was against the NCAA rules for him to earn any money off of his athletic ability. And that would have been earning money off of his athletic ability. So he couldn't publish that book. He had to wait until he graduated college to publish that book. Now, I think we would all agree that's probably not right. However, the other side of that is the recruiting aspect, which is what scares everybody to death. And, and that is if, if you're big state you and you have 100,000 alums and, and you tell all those alums to go follow Trevor Lawrence on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And then Trevor Lawrence gets paid by the number of follows he has or the number of likes or the number of videos that gets opened on his Instagram site. And you can, you can drive that because you have more alums than anybody else or you have a bigger state than anybody else. Then how is that, how does that not become just a, how is that not based on their athletic ability? And it, it obviously is. And so then it becomes a huge recruiting advantage because I can go tell some, and, and, it, and it's not just that. It goes all the way down to even at my level, we're a very small school, 2,500 undergraduates, not a very big school at all, but we're in a league that's very competitive, uh, similar sizes, maybe a little bigger schools, but not much bigger, certainly not big state U's. Uh, but if I'm recruiting a quarterback and let's say for example, Lamar University that's over in Beaumont's recruiting that quarterback. And Lamar goes to the local Subway sandwich dealer and says, hey, I want you, if you work, we're recruiting this quarterback out of Houston. And if you'll give him an NIL agreement to, to just ask him to tweet out every day that he's going to your Subway shop for lunch and, and we'll get that kid because you're going to give him free sandwiches every day, or you're going to give him a $5,000 check for that or whatever you're going to pay him. You're going to give him that. And that's a name image and likeness agreement. Now I've either got to match that at HBU or we're going to lose that kid to Lamar. Wow. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be. And if you extrapolate that, to like a situation at Oklahoma. Now, you know, you, they talk about, well, that's just the football players that are gonna get that kind of recognition. Well, it's not. How many subway shops do you think there are in the state of Oklahoma? If every subway shop Anything. adapted one athlete at Oklahoma and did that same sort of agreement to where that athlete said, I'm, I, you know, I like the subway shop in Edmond, Oklahoma, and I'm gonna be there next week for lunch. Why don't you all join me? Well, that subway shop's going to pay that kid $5,000 for a name, image, and likeness agreement. Every athlete in Oklahoma is going to have a deal like that. And rightfully so, maybe. But that certainly is going to be a recruiting advantage <clears throat> that other schools are going to have to try to match if they're going to get that kid coming out of high school. Steve, let's say that that, that does happen. How, how do the smaller schools o overcome these sorts of issues? I mean... You can't. You can't. I mean, it, it, it's just like everything else. Like I say, I mean, I, I can't, <clears throat> I, you know, unless I can find a subway shop to, to do that for every kid I've got, I can't match it. And I certainly can't do that. So I can't match it. Um, you know, and that's just a microcosm of it. Uh, we, then we start getting into the different state rules. Several of the states have already passed name, image, and likeness. Yes. Yeah. 
well, okay, now what if what if Florida's law is different than Texas doesn't have one right now, but Florida's law is different than Texas law. I'm recruiting a kid out of Florida. Florida's recruiting a kid out of Florida. Well, if Florida's law is better, he's probably going to want to stay in Florida because somebody's going to tell him, hey, you got more chance to operate here and get more money here if you stay here than if you go to Texas. Absolutely. So, and right now there's not much consistency of any between the laws. <clears throat> and so then there's not going to be. And so then it comes down to, okay, well, can we get the government here to pass one law that covers everybody? Well, we can't even get the government here to pass a budget, much less a name, image, and likeness agreement. Yeah. So that's probably not going to happen. So then the third tract is the NCAA. Can we get the NCAA to write a law or write a rule that would encompass everybody and take in everybody? And if everybody followed it, great. But if everybody doesn't follow it, then you can't participate in the NCAA. That seems to make sense, except that what we're seeing in this country right now is that everybody's challenging the NCAA in court. So as soon as you write that rule, you can just about bet that somebody's going to go challenge that rule in court. Wow. So at the end of the day, what we're going to end up with is we're going to end up with the NCAA passing a rule probably in the spring. That's over summer, one or the other. Yeah. That will be the, will be the, the, the rails for the NIL. At that point, you can just about bet somebody's going to challenge it in court. And so at the end of the day, it's going to be the court system that's going to decide what the real rules are for NIL. Powerful. Yeah. Powerful. And that's how, I mean, you can just about bet that's how it's going to play out. Yeah. And back to the example of the local subway shop, they will do it because, again, that brand affinity is there. Absolutely. All comes back to that, hey? Absolutely. It's amazing. Absolutely. Wow. Um, as you just said, it's going to be a very messy start. Just like with anything new, it's always messy. There's going to be a lot of sharks. There's going to be people who are going to try and uh, jump on the vulnerable. What's your three tips to these students to, to avoid or to stay away from because early on in any industry, no matter how technical or established or, or whatever, there's always, always loopholes that are ex exploited. It always takes a couple of years. So Steve, what's your advice to, to, the student, to the student world on things to look out for and stay, stay away from? Well, I would say this, I, I would only want to work with reputable companies and firms that are verifiably reputable. I would also be careful of uh, what is known as, as runners in our country um, that may approach athletes with deals uh, and they're going to be the middleman. I, I don't like middlemen. Um, I would also, I would, I would, I would very much encourage them to either seek some sort of legal guidance or make sure, make darn sure that they check with their university um, to make sure that what they're doing is, is legal and above board within the NCAA rules. Uh, because it's, it's, as you said, it's gonna be messy and it's gonna be fraught with uh, people trying to take advantage of these kids. Um, and, you know, and, and I would say maybe number four, 
know the rules, the labor laws, um, because theoretically, as, as I would know it right now, they're going to owe taxes on that money. Absolutely. Um, they're earning money and they're going to have to pay taxes on that money. And so to, to think that all that money is going to be theirs free and clear would be erroneous. And so they need to know what the taxation laws are and what the labor laws are. A lot of things at such a young age to really absorb. And that is the fear that all of us have. That is, that is why it's not because the athletic directors of this country don't want the kids to necessarily be able to make money. Our fear is we see these young people every day. You're, at that age, you're supposed to be able to make mistakes and learn from your mistakes. The problem is that when you make mistakes and learn from your mistakes and you're talking about a $100,000 mistake, it's not the same thing as not going to class today. Absolutely. The IRS will be knocking on your door. Hello, exactly. pay up. And at 19, 20 years old, that's the last thing you want. You're not even thinking about that, if I'm going to be honest. Right. No, that's exactly right. And that's our fear. That's yeah. our, it's a, these, it's, are, these are things. Now, as somebody said today, I was actually on a call today with one of our state senators. Uh, all the athletic directors in Texas were on a call with one of our state senators that's head of the Education Commission trying to decide whether the state of Texas should enact a law or not. Uh, and on that call, one of the folks said that, that this will be great life lessons for these kids, um, undoubtedly. The problem is these could be life-changing life lessons. Again, not like skipping practice or skipping class or, or failing a course. Those things are all correctable. Some of these things, when you're talking about money, in some cases, big money, may not be quite as correctable. Oh, well, well when, obviously we're gonna to have to wait and see how things pan out and hopefully these resources will become available to, to these young ones. Um, Steve, thank you very much. You've been amazing, very insightful. A, a, a lot of knowledge to gain and absorb. Definitely whoever uh, comes across this video will learn a ton especially when it comes to understanding the space, the history of the space, you brought something that no, no other guest has really brought in. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna be honest with you, you, you've given us a rundown of how things were, how they've become, and based on your experience, what you think they, they will be, which is priceless. So um, unfortunately we, we have to wrap things up. Before we say goodbye, where can people get in touch with you online? Uh... Email address smoniachi, S-M-O-N-I-A-C-I at hbu.edu. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Steve Moniachi from HBU, thank you very much for joining me on the Sports Finder NIL series. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?